welcome. You are listening to another episode of the Deacon's Roundtable. I have my with me today uh, Mike Galandi from St. Mary of the Annunciation, Dave Egan from the Village of Victory Lakes, Deacon Richard Hudzik, the Vicar uh, for the Archdiocese of Chicago. And also on the line we have in our Deacon Hotline, uh, Deacon Joe Casey from St. Pat's in, uh, in Wadsworth. And who are you? Who am I? I'm, I'm just a moderator. And I'm Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. So welcome. We're back uh, after a month of uh, we went with the uh, the pledge show we, we did last month. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully, people are continuing to see uh, the need for joining uh, joining with WSFI and Catholic Radio Ministry. But we're here this month. We're going to start talking a little bit about uh, health, healthcare, and health things that we're going to talk about uh, and uh, hospice and uh, other issues that concern us as, as concerned Catholics and also people that uh, no matter uh, how much we try to fight it, we are going to deal with health issues either with our loved ones or with ourselves, and we want to do them in an ethical and Catholic way. So, so uh, let's begin in a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Dear Jesus, amen. please uh, come into this discussion and bring us your spirit to help enlighten us in the audience. Please help all those who listen to WSFI uh, who are feeling a little bit of pains of illness or family members that aren't going well. You always promised Jesus that you wouldn't take away our pain, but you would walk with us as we went through it. We ask you to walk with all your, your faithful and to be with them. And for a special request, I ask for a blessing for the repose of the soul of Father Ron Lewinsky. Lewandowski, who'd, who uh, recently passed away and was a listener of the station. We ask this to Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 So, so Dave, you love this topic. Where are we going to start? Well, I think the uh, some of the first things that uh, we were sort of just discussing around the table as a roundtop is the first one is the question of autonomy. And that is the ability for you to essentially decide how things will be going as far as your treatment and what things that you want to do. And one of the issues that came up with that is that that decision can't be made just by yourself. That's in a relationship that you have with, with your physician, with your family, with your spiritual directors, or someone else to give guidance. Um, and so most people say that it's okay to make you know, they want to make their own decisions in healthcare given the number of options, but you have to do it for the right reason under the right circumstances. I mean, one of the examples that we use, I can't just go to my physician and say, uh, I want my leg cut off because I don't like it. Um, you know, that would be my wish, but that doesn't mean necessarily that the medical community would actually follow through on those wishes. So I think that it's important to realize that we do have the ability to make our own decisions, but they have to be done in the right avenue, the right venue, within a discussion within the whole community. It's not something that you decide, so therefore it must be done. You know, before we go too far, I, I think we sh it is very important for us to highlight, and we'll come back to this, but uh, no show like this would be complete if we did not say that advanced directives are extremely important they are they are 
something that is consistent with our faith and uh, the and medical power of attorneys are all things that we need to get into but we all listeners should have those um, because the goal is for someone to speak for you when you can't speak for yourself very much so, so very but, much uh, so. Uh, before we go too much further if you don't have an advanced directive you haven't done a medical power of attorney get one cause what, what's an advanced directive deacon greg <laughs> usually it's my wife telling me things to do but uh, uh basically it's uh, um someone who, who's quite for, uh, familiar with you and it tells you what what you want which how much uh, uh effort you want uh, in trying to revive you and how uh uh, how you wish to perceive and, and go through that. So uh, let me turn it back to you, Lawyer Hudzik. Uh, advanced directive <laughs> for, for you is even more. Okay. Uh, it's, it's been a few years uh, since I, I practiced, but uh, memory tells me that an advanced directive is a, is a general term for an instrument such as a health care power of attorney um, where you are designating another individual to make decisions for you when you, you are unable to make them for yourself. And it's in that document where you would uh, have the opportunity to outline what should be done or what, uh, what, uh, whether extraordinary measures should be employed or whether you would simply, an option that I used to recommend to my, my clients uh, back in the day, uh, particularly if it's a husband and wife, say one giving the other, each other health care power of attorney, is uh, you've gone this far through life, um, rather than trying to divine each and every possibility of your health care or whatever physical challenge you might be facing, vest your uh, power holder with, with a generalized discretion to exercise their best judgment. And to, you know, so I would bless my wife, please, please use your best judgment. Um, I trust you. I have faith in you. So she, would, she is my health care uh, power holder. Um, I think in this conversation, I think the, the, the Catholic world maybe just needs to be disabused of this notion that advanced directive is something to be suspicious of or it's somehow less than praiseworthy. I think I agree, Greg, that certainly people do want to get that advanced directive before the crisis comes. It's no time to, to try to figure out what's what's going to happen. So, I would like to actually make a comment within that, that you actually mentioned two different terms, and they are very different. Advanced directives are one thing. Healthcare power of attorney is another one. So advanced directives are really just you've written down what the expectations are. And it's actually recommended that you actually have a healthcare power of attorney because you can't think of absolutely everything that is going to be taking place. Um, the, one of the other things that um, has come into play often is that there can be quite a time lapse between the advanced directives uh, and where medicine is at. So if I wrote advanced directives 10 years ago and I go into a hospital today, there's been an awful lot of advances and things that are possible. Right, right. So what my criteria was 10 years ago may not even be applicable today. And that's where the, actually the healthcare power of attorney can come in where they know your general wishes but they can actually deal with situations that come up daily that you did not even begin to fathom when you wrote the advanced directives absolutely absolutely yeah. and, and my, my preference would be to go with a health care power of attorney that rather than a, uh, some kind of directive where you're a living will is, is the other is name good, where, yeah. and you're trying to figure out 
what to do 20 years from now, five years from now. And it's just... That is the that is the actual recommendation for most yeah. medical professionals today. Is that that's what you do? Yeah. The interesting thing is people think this is this topic is for seniors, but actually it became quite relevant in my life because I have daughters who have gone away and have gone away to out of state for college, and once they turn 18, that hospital doesn't have to talk to mom and dad. So we had to do the the medical power of attorney to make sure that if they had an issue, that we would be involved and could take care of that because they're you know, legally adults and taking care of it. Uh, one great organization for looking at this is the Patients' Rights Council. In fact, you don't even need a lawyer, sorry, Deacon Hudson, no, for, <laughs> no, for doing this, but you can actually, you know, you need a witness document, but uh, that can serve to protect parents whose children are going out to college and, and moving out of state, and uh, um, they have some very good uh, agreements, and then also I need to know that what's the requirements in Illinois and Wisconsin and Iowa, they are similar but not exactly the same. So the, an organization like the Patients' Rights Council has the verbiage you need for the right states that you're going to. And, of course, when you have a question like this, don't go to the website, find a lawyer, get some expertise on what's doing this. But, but get that document, get it filled out. It's very easy to do but, but terribly important because you don't think about it during the crisis, you need it before the crisis. So that's uh, another aspect of, of, uh, of getting that taken I think care there's of. also one other thing that uh, we have not brought up, which is really important, is that for you to actually have a talk with your physician about it. And if your physician will work with you and knows your wishes, that puts everybody on the same page. And you, that is so important you know, for the family and sometimes the physician can actually, you know, talk to the family and say, you know, these are what the wishes are because this is what they were concerned about. Mm. You know, and so that's a, another very important thing that a lot of people don't want to do. So, Joe, you, you've been dealing a lot of this with, with, health, with the hospice ministry. Do you find it's, uh, are people getting better about having these directives and, and taken care of? Is it a requirement for hospice? What's your, what, what's your take on it? I guess I'd have to say that... Um, some people are maybe becoming a little bit more aware, but I'm not necessarily convinced that there's enough discussion regarding them. And I think it was Dave that might have mentioned the idea of um, involving the physician and such, too. As my wife and I had um, sat down, and we recently updated powers of attorney because they had been so old, but there are questions and discussions that we had gotten into and I had a chance to mention to her too I've had the opportunity to discuss these with my own physician and happened to be fortunate in the personal physician is a man who's a, it's a daily mass attendee and daily communicant and and so he understands even the uh, Catholic bishops recommendations and and so on, and so we've had some good discussions. And so there are questions that my wife had said, well, gee, what about this and that? And I said, well, if it's kind of a gray area, you can always discuss it with this physician or with this particular priest with whom I've had conversations and stuff. So my point is that it's one thing to establish them, but then the continuing uh, discussions and understanding so that the agent has a good understanding of the wishes of the patients, and that's an ongoing thing. Is there a cultural aspect of this? Are there certain cultures that would be more of 
adverse to doing something like this, being afraid to sign a document like this? Of course, I'm signed, you know, you're giving your rights over to somebody else. But Mike, I, what do you think? I, w <coughs> I would think the culture of the Filipino would be, they, they tend to be timid and shy. And so this would be one of the things they probably will not talk about uh, between uh, children and parents. And most probably, and I've had cases where things happen during the crises. People are not prepared. What I hate about the conversation is they always talk about when I go first. <laughs> I, I object to that. I object to that totally. I, I, I totally plan for my wife to go first. And uh, so we'll you see heard it I'm here going. first, folks. <laughs> In a natural way, of course. <laughs> but I think it's also lack, lack of information. Sure. Lack of information and lack of trust. Who do I speak with? Do I go to uh, my pastor? Do I go to my physician? Do I go to my daughter? Or vice versa? Who, who would, where do I begin the process? You know, there, there's another sensitivity that, that I had seen in, in years past is that as a, as a person is aged, uh, you know, say well into their 80s, um, and then the kids want to talk about the health care power of attorney, well, mom or dad uh, may push back on that, that there's uh, uh, their mom or dad might not be comfortable with, with having that conversation. Either it's a question they don't want to confront, or you can even, you know, depending on, on the person, um, suspicion is probably too strong a word, but there's a, a dis-ease at questioning the motivation of the children even. You know, why why are you asking me this? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to live for another 20 years. So my thought is when we are hale and hearty, um, and as we said before the crisis, make those plans, make those appointments, those decisions now rather than when it's... If you have a passion, get, write it down. Make it the right. advanced directive. I know that uh, Prince of Peace and Victory Lakes have been very proactive in having programs for uh, advanced directives and educating their parishioners. I, I'd really like to see more of our parishes uh, bring that to the, bring it to uh, uh, to to the parishioners. In fact, my big issue with, with Loyola, I kept saying over and over again, the ethical directives are written for physicians. They're written for the medical community. But you know what? Everyone in the pew is a patient, and they need to know what's going on too. And that's a one of, that to me, that's a great failure of the ethical directives, but which we can talk about on another show. But it's uh, some place that we need to, that information needs to get out there, and it needs to be a, a conversation that uh, you need to have. And if nobody doesn't want to listen, write it down and get it documented, witnessed, and all the other stuff. You know, Greg, you mentioned Loyola. I just uh, in the Chicago Catholic uh, hard copy that came out today that uh, arrived at my my office uh, making reference to Loyola Medicine uh, now has an advanced directive clinic in which an ICU physician uh, with a degree in bioethics will meet with patients. There's half-hour appointments. They've set up a, uh, a regular program a format for, for people to talk with uh, one of the physicians at Loyola. Uh, you, you fill out the, the paperwork and it then becomes uh, scanned and part of your, uh, your patient file. So, so. Lo Loyola Medicine is uh, is working in that direction. They give a website or anything for that. I'll flip through the paper and see if I see that. Okay. <laughs> There's also another form in Illinois that called the Post Form, which has replaced a lot of the um, DNR forms. But the Post Form actually goes into more like the living will, what you want to get done. So w your point that you made earlier about knowing which state that you're in, 
Um, a lot of states will actually, even though it may not be the legal language, if and when they see what the directives are and the, there's nothing uh, unethical about them. But wait, 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 wait. DNR? Are you trying to do an agnostic thing, atheist thing to with us, Dave? How can you do a do not resuscitate order if you're Catholic? Uh, well, I hate to break this to you, but the Catholic Church very much accepts DNR orders. Um, one of the um, things that is very important within the, the Catholic faith is that you are not required to do extraordinary means to keep living. Is you are allowed to let a dying process of disease take place. Um, you know, and so there's tons of different examples of that. So like one of the, the great examples actually from two of our Lars Cardinals uh, gave us an example that was both Cardinal Bernan and Cardinal George when they had um, a different type of tumor and or uncontrolled growth and they started to, they went through the first round of chemotherapy and went beyond that at one point with both of them it stopped working. And what what was the book that Bernadine wrote? I can't think of The Gift of Peace? Peace? Yes. Well, yes. Oh, but what an awesome book. Everyone should read that book. And so, and that was the point of when the treatments were no longer viable and there were no other options, at that point you could say that, okay, you know, I have done what I should be doing uh, and have done it correctly. And at this point, I have to be prepared to die because there are no other medical options. And that is a very Catholic position that I think both cardinals showed us a great example of what it means to walk that journey. And, and to Pope John Paul II, of course, too. Um, and I think it's, you know, like you talk about our society, we have a society of people who don't want to face the fact that you're, one day you're going to die. In fact, you know, I'm looking at Mike knowing, Mike, you're going to die someday. You know, so <laughs> now, <laughs> everyone in this room but me is going to die someday, me. Mike. <laughs> Now, that's uh, it's actually one of the things that's um, an issue with the, especially the the current generation of like the baby boomers, that they have avoided this sort of decision of having to deal with some of the end of life issues for themselves, and now they're sort of facing it with their parents, um, and they still are going to oh let me try this spiral treatment let me do this let me do that. You know, with the realization in the end that they are going to die. And so how do you prepare yourself to that final journey? And what is the best way that you can live your life comfortably with your morals and your goals in line with, for example, the church and society to fulfill that? And that's a good soul-searching question. It's a it's a check check that we have to have, especially you know coming after this Easter season that we have. Uh, we we don't believe that dying is the end. We're moving on to a greater greater existence going forward with that, and uh, we need to focus that. But uh, we have come now to our our first break, and uh, we will be back shortly. You're listening to WSFI 88.5, WSFI Catholic Radio org on your your computer. We'll be back in a little bit. Hello, 
I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. And we're back. You're listening to the Deacons Roundtable at uh, WSFI on uh, 88.5 on your FM dial. And uh, we have on the line with us Deacon Joe Casey. Joe, you still with us? I am. Good. Yes. So, jo- Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your, vac- your vocation story? How did you uh, uh, decide to become a deacon? What was your, your journey? Wow. Well, as far as becoming a deacon is concerned, it... it began several years ago and considered it for quite a while, but quite honestly, I can remember that it was specifically at the invitation of another deacon that said, have you ever really considered it? Because prior to that, as I did think about it, it it was something pretty much just in my own thoughts and prayers. Um, But when someone else had specifically brought it to my attention is when I guess I felt like I could talk with others about it and, and and then pursue it from there. And so it was finally a matter of just uh, saying, okay, yes, let's subject myself to God's will and see what uh, what comes of it. And had then gone through the diaconate program. I was ordained about five years ago now. And um, since then, in addition to the parish work, I had gotten involved in volunteering as a chaplain at a local hospital well, Vista, actually, and then um, that led even to work with the hospice organization, and um, so that's been going on for a few years now. I've, I found that to be a just such a, a tremendous blessing to be able to be a companion for someone on this journey during what is arguably the most sacred period of our earthly lives. People are understanding they're in their final days or their loved ones, someone in their family or friends are in their final stages of life, and they can use support. Jesus himself, as we just recently went through Holy Week, and we've heard many times, Jesus himself wanted to, he knew what was coming at the end of the week, and, and he wanted companionship and friendship and people to to stay and pray with them and and such and I just find this a, a, a beautiful ministry to be involved in and how long have you been doing this show uh, about four years I guess and uh, so so in, in your words Joe what what do you see as hospice or palliative, palliative care what 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 is that to our listeners can you kind of summarize that that 
Yeah, I guess to summarize, there there gets to be a point where um, people come to realize, maybe the healthcare professionals, maybe the patients come to realize that it's probably not appropriate necessarily for attempts at any more curative um, care. In other words, the disease process has progressed to the point that any more treatment probably will not do much good. So it's not limited, of course, to cancer patients, but a good example is cancer patients. And in the third, the chemotherapy, the radiation, whatever, is really not stopping the progression of cancer. But in fact, the treatment itself is causing a great deal of discomfort. And so the focus then moves from a focus of trying to cure the disease to a matter of just seeking comfort and uh, making that the, the goal of any particular treatment. I was introduced to hospice with the death of my father down at uh, St. James Hospital in Chicago Heights. They have a whole floor dedicated to the hospice, and uh, it was amazing for me because I thought hospice was just for older people, and I saw some teenagers there that were there. And it's it's not a dark and gloomy place, is it, Joe? It, it's actually, they have the lights turned on, people are talking, people are telling family stories. It's it's a place where we're we're walking with people instead. Of, it's not just abandoning them. How how do you uh, prepare yourself for that, Joe? You know, you're you're exactly right. It is as I've, I've said. It's a matter of it's a ministry of presence. It's a matter of being a companion to someone on this journey and being available for them. And you find out that different people have have different needs and sometimes it's the the patient or the the patient's family and i think greg mentioned earlier too that just our theology our catholic teaching teaches us that this earthly event that we call death is not really an end it's a change and now it certainly has implications for those of us left behind so to speak too but um, it is something that we're all going to to face, um, except me. Get to the point of accepting that. Uh, Joe, what 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 do you particularly what what do you do with a uh, in visiting with a, a hospice patient? What, what's your role? <laughs> um, initially, I'll, I'll contact the patient and we'll we'll have a discussion, and those discussions can be very broad, but it's it's a matter of saying that the role of the hospice chaplain is actually an optional thing for the patient. Um, the hospice patient is going to have to accept regular visits from the hospice nurses and perhaps the aides and so on, but the role of the chaplain is something that they can decline. They say, no thanks, I don't wish to have that, and some of our patients do decline it. It may be because they have a close relationship with their own pastor or um, or someone else, but um, initially I'll meet with them, and then we sit and try to determine if, if they're interested in further visits and what would be done during those visits, uh, how frequently we'll visit, and so on. Um, and so I'll meet with patients generally either once a week or once every couple of weeks 
so happens that if the patients are Catholic and the hospice I'm associated with is not affiliated with one particular faith tradition, but if the patients are Catholic, then of course we routinely will um, bring communion to them if they're interested. Um, and then it's, it's a matter of being a person as a minister of care, so to speak. Um, other patients may not be Catholics. I've got some patients that uh, uh, happen to be very strong Christians, and maybe, among other things, their eyesight has been deteriorating also. And uh, so I've got some people, when they come in, they'll give me a very specific um, book of the Bible and, and even the very chapter to read to them that day. And so we'll read that, and we'll have a discussion about that um, and so on. Other people, quite honestly, it has started out to be just as a companion. I remember on the, the initial visit I had with a man once, he made it very clear on the d day one that he was an atheist. And um, I can remember him telling me the problem with being an atheist, he said, was that you never get the chance to come back and say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he did not decline hospice chaplain visits. And so we did meet. And I think we started out meeting every couple of weeks and later on became once a week. And we developed a, a friendship and a relationship and we did discussions. Mostly he'd want to tell me about why he was... Um, an atheist and things, but not want to listen to too much more. And and later on during the journey, and the man became unable to, to speak very much. And he'd try, but didn't have any strength in his voice, and even he was not understandable. And so I would just read to him, and I had a friend that had given me a, a book, and it had to do with some things that this man had made some arguments against and so he sat and, and told him I would read these to him if for any reason he's uncomfortable didn't want him let me know but um, I'd read this to him and would get a double thumbs up and as it turns out I ended up um, performing a service even for that man's visitation the wake service at the um, funeral home he did not convert to Catholicism before he passed or anything but he did have a Christian service at, at his wake. So it's different things for different people. Sometimes, in fact, I'm probably there more so for the family, providing spiritual and emotional support for the family than for the patient themselves. Now, I was going to ask you that, Joe. How do the families react to you being there, or do they want you there, not want you there? Is it ever confrontational? Tell us about your relationship with the families. And that can be very, very strong. Yes, I've had some situations where I've literally spent much more time with the families. Um, and I guess as I think about it, some of those situations or situations the patients themselves had very little capability of in, uh, speech and conversations, and there was some advanced cases of dementia and so on. But the families would love to sit and, and talk about um, different aspects of the dying process and um, the resurrection and their their own faith um, perspectives and thoughts and, and such. And it's 
spending time in prayer with them and prayer and reading scripture and such. So oftentimes it'd be the same type of things that I would do with the family that I would do with the patient, but the, the focus is more on the family at times. Joe, there have been some times where I think the family has said, okay, they'll meet you at the door and bring you into the patient's room and then leave, and that'd be very interesting. But it also seems then that, in, and I've had situations too, where then when the patient has passed, at no matter what time, the family says, gee, can you get the chaplain to come out? So, you know, maybe uh, 10 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the morning. And for some reason, now the family wants some spiritual care. They want somebody there to lead them in prayer and um, and provide some spiritual support and such. And so um, that's often, that's also a, a component of that because there's somebody, there's always obviously somebody on call for the, the hospice. Um, and so we've often attended some of the, the deaths and such. And what, is, what does this do to you, Joe? This, I, I can envision it being both grace-filled as, as well as difficult. <laughs> You're absolutely right. But probably more the the former than the latter. And like I said, to be with these people during the most sacred period of their lives, and yes, it really has been a real blessing for me. I, you know, I sometimes hate to admit it because it's almost as if you shouldn't enjoy or appreciate the opportunity to be with people when they die and such, but um, it is a very, very special time in our lives and to prepare for this sacred point of death, of this transition and so on. Um, now, on the other hand, it can get to be, be a very difficult thing. I will say that I find it to be more difficult when you're talking the younger patients and the the older patients, I'm working right now with um, one of our patients and someone actively involved even in planning her funeral um, arrangements and things. Well, she's already 101 years old and and very peppy and and, and so on. She's ready to accept. <laughs> I think she's looking forward after serving her whole life with God. She's ready to go back and, and meet him face to face and that's a little easier to deal with than the the young mother who's going to be leaving a few kids behind and so on those those things get to be be tough but again if we can provide that spiritual support to the family and help them to endure what they're going through now and um, to help them become aware that I think it did it was Greg that said at the very beginning, maybe in our opening prayer, help Jesus will will be with us, he'll walk with us and, and so in some ways we try to facilitate their awareness of that. Joe, this is Dave Egan. Um have you found that another one of the roles that you are put more into is that the patient has accepted their disease and 
your role is really to have the family accept the consequence of the disease. Uh, so you're more of a support, not for the patients, but the patient wants you to have the have the family have the support. Is that you know what? common? Absolutely. I think more often than not, I think the patient comes to accept the reality of the situation before the family does. I think that it tends to be easier sometimes for the patient, uh, especially if it's a person of strong faith, it's easier for them to to accept that reality than the, than the family. So absolutely, Dave, I think that's uh, very much the case. So, Joe, uh, we've said several times on the show the training and formation from the Archdiocese of Chicago is second to none, but I can't think of a time where I would have been overly prepared for this ministry. How would you give advice, or what, what did you do to, to make sure that you were grounded and, and uh, just protect yourself emotionally from what you're going through and, and the spirituality of what you're doing? What are some of the things that uh, you can suggest or would suggest to someone else starting in this ministry? Yeah. Well, of course, I think we need the solid prayer life as our as our basis, and um, and know from where we draw our strength and and so on, and to be open to accept the roles that that we've been been given. Um, in an earlier life, so to speak, I worked as a pharmacist and happened to work with many hospice patients even, but from a pharmacist's perspective, and it was a different thing. And and now, after getting into the diaconate and such, I find myself back into healthcare and back even into to working with hospice and such, but um, to maintain and continue to, to work on my own faith life is crucial because I still just can't imagine how people deal with the idea of death and such without a strong faith life, a strong faith perspective. And to possibly think that you die and that's it, <laughs> just I can't understand how people can accept that. That's very powerful, Joe. And uh, you know, we have, we we thinking about this. Uh, thinking about this, we uh, you know, I I just want to say thank you for taking time to do this ministry because uh, I learned with my parents. I think the hospice people are the coolest people in the world because they walk with people and they help with families. And it's not an easy job. It's not an easy ministry. So, so thank you for for the time that you spend in doing this because certainly it's needed. I was curious though. You, uh, you know, you're a deacon of St. Pat's, right? And and do you 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 do the hospice throughout uh, Lake County? I imagine. Do you act as a intermediary? Do you contact the parishes? Do you help uh, uh, bring priests to the location so they can have the last rites or they can uh, go to confession? How does that work? All of the above. Yes. And and again, in terms of the facilitating their contact with the, their church, whether it's our parish or a different parish or even non-Catholic churches, yes, in that initial meeting we talk about the idea of um, does their 
does the patient's own faith community, are they aware of the situation? And do you want to share with them? Do you want to be on their prayer list? Shall I contact your existing pastor and um, have them come out? Or with respect to Catholics, to arrange for the sacrament of the anointing and, and this sort of stuff. I've had situations where some Catholic patients said, well, yeah, I would, but I don't yet want this to be public in, in my parish. And so they didn't even want to contact their own pastor. They had a, a different priest friend that I ended up contacting for them, and, um, and he came out and anointed the, the man and such. But yes, contacting their their own faith community to to provide support. Um, in some cases, like I said, this one lady I'm working with now, working with the Parish Bereavement Committee and helping them start selecting the readings and the hymns that they want for the funeral and so on. Um, so these are types of things that the family today can't get out to easily meet with the bereavement committee because they're confined to the home is a always present caregiver. Um, and so I'm kind of an intermediary in that regards. I even had situations where um, I worked with the, the family's parish and the pastor and the and, and actually baptized the patient essentially on his deathbed. Um, working with the, the pastor had delegated to me the um, right to baptize this patient and um, that's something that has been again very very special to myself but also to the family to you know the man who had raised all these children throughout providing Catholic education to him and everything and had not gotten around to it himself and then I remember him telling me his Literally, I say on his deathbed, it happened to be a few months before he he passed, but it was in, literally confined to bed. And so, yes, I've done all that. And, and I've even been in a situation where, like I said, I routinely bring communion to our Catholic patients, but um, it's sometimes, too, and even more the viaticum than the Eucharist and in going through the prayers of the viaticum and, and the rites and so on literally two hours before a patient had passed I, I happened to be making a visit and just knew and the whole family was around and we all knew that it would be um, their final visit and to bring viaticum to to someone is, is just a very very special thing, certainly for the patient, to, to present Jesus to them. You're on this journey, and now you're ready to take that last step of the journey, and here, may Jesus Christ be with you <laughs> on this last step. Amen. <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're, we're about to enter our, our next break here, Joe. I want to remind the listeners of WSFI that Every parish has ministers of, of care that are that want to come see you, and if you can't make it into the parish, let the parish come to you. Call your parish, call your deacons. We want to bring Jesus to you and be with you and walk these journeys with you. This is WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial. We'll be back shortly after this commercial break. 
an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. All right, we're back with the Deacons Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial. We are talking with uh, Deacon Joe Casey from St. Pat's in Wadsworth. We have Mike Alandi from St. Mary the Annunciation, Dave Egan from Victory Lakes, Richard Hudzik, our Vicar of the Archdiocese of Chicago for Deacons, and I'm Greg Webster, the uh, a deacon at St. Raphael the Archangel at Old Mill Creek, Illinois. Uh, we've just had some very powerful witnessing from... from uh, Deacon Joe about hospice, and we also have uh, Dave Egan here with us from Victory Lakes, who is a a, uh, a retirement committee as well. Um, Dave, how, why don't you bring in your perspectives for what you what you were seeing in the ministry that and how it compares with Joe? So, for the last six years, I have been uh, assigned to uh, the village of Victory Lakes. It's a retirement community. And there are many different aspects of that in that there's a independent living, assisted living. There is a, a healthcare rehab unit as well as a skilled nursing um, unit, which is sort of traditionally the um, what people would consider a nursing home. And there is quite the gambit of people there. Um, so in the independent living, for example, they have people that are there from, let's say, generally as a mid-70s up to people that are over 100. And each person is sort of, of different. But one of the things that um, they're exposed to quite often that most communities are not, it's not unusual to have one person you know die per week if not sometimes even more so you're constantly exposed to that and so the questions can't be avoided in a community like that um and the other aspect of it is that people sort of prepare preparing for this for a while i mean it's um when you don't you don't really think about dying when you're you know 50 but when you start getting, you know, to 70, 80, it starts uh, becoming a major aspect of your life. I mean, I know people are sort of joke that uh, they get up in the paper and look at the Irish sports pages to make sure that they uh, are still breathing every day. And that's, what, I mean, one of the things that um, has taken place that my mother said years ago um, she said that she wondered when it was going to be her turn to die. I mean, my father had died. All the neighbors had died. All her friends had died. You know, and right now she's uh, low 90s and has full dementia. You know, but it's, you know, that was one of the questions that she used to ask often. Like, when is it going to be my turn? 
And I see that an awful lot with the residents as well. I mean, not that they're looking forward to dying the next day, but they realize that is part of life. And the majority of people there have a very strong faith life, extremely strong faith life. I'm jealous of how strong their faith life is. And so for them, it's just one step on their journey. And it's been a great growth opportunity to see that. And I, I very much agree with Joe. It's a grace-filled moment to walk the journey with somebody. Um, I'm just thinking, there was this one woman that, um, she was uh, 102, and actually before, I think it was actually two weeks before she died, she and I, I got to be very good friends with the family and her, her daughter, and uh, this woman's name was Dottie, and Dottie and I had a date one night over in the assisted care unit it was uh just after her birthday and uh, i wasn't around to celebrate it and she and i had a, a little dram of uh whiskey with her daughter and we were just sort of just talking about friends and you know and life and it was a very prayerful moment i mean it was not something that we even said prayers during mm -hmm. the time but it was an extremely prayerful moment to be able to as joe said to be graced with that opportunity I know that in in your ministry, Joe, uh, Dave, you were very very influential and helpful with my mother, who was who had passed away at Victory Lakes. I remember she looked at me one time and she said, "Greg, you're a deacon. Tell me how to die." And I said, "I know how to kill a career. I don't know how to <laughs> do anything else." But uh, Angela doesn't have her hand on the on the button, so I uh, the delay button, so I can't tell you what my mother actually said to me in faith-filled Catholic sense for for doing that, but. Um, you know, it is a journey. It is a new journey for all of us. And uh, uh, how often do you get those type of questions? Or tell me what to do. So, how do I do this? I said, oh, actually, that happens more than not. And I actually remember your mother making <laughs> talking to me. God bless so, her soul. <laughs> she was a great woman. She was a great woman. But having people saying that, you know, I'm afraid. And saying that, well, no, I don't have the answers. I'm not. I don't have the crystal ball. But let's walk through, you know, where you are on the journey. You know, what are your beliefs? Um, you know, what is your comfort? Is there something that you want to say to somebody that you've always wanted to say? That, that person that you loved, that, you know, have you actually told them that you love them? Is there someone... Or forgiveness. Yeah, mm -hmm. and forgiveness is going to be always going to yeah. be the, my next... Yeah. Maybe that You know, to say to someone, it's okay, yeah. you know... I forgive you. And a lot of times those, seeing those words said and then seeing the two parties get together at some a later time, it's like that was a grace-filled moment. Yeah. And, so, and so a part <laughs> of it is walking this journey with somebody that you don't know. There is no quote-unquote training. Right. Part of it is just being very pastoral and walking the journey with somebody. You know, um, Deacon Mike's getting up in the years, so I think it's real important that we say, Mike, we love you. And <laughs> let, 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 me, let, let me put my two cents worth there. The, the Filipino, the culture of the Filipino, as far as death is concerned, is on the very first day of death, they start praying for nine days. And on the 40th day, they still pray. Okay, And that means the whole clan gets together for nine days. But this is after the person has died. And so I'm very enthused when I hear what you're saying, Dave. We don't seem to have a way of getting together and walking together 
towards death. Now, it's, well, society has always sort of shunned all recent society. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's an issue. That This is one physician that I used to sit on an ethics board, and he, <coughs> he definitely dealt with the elderly. And he said when he is going to retire and he's throwing the towel, his last death certificate, he is going to write cause of death, went home to God. <laughs> um, and that is, you know, said, and having somebody feel comfortable with that, you know, having the patient say, yeah, I'm going home to God. Now, my, my experiences with these uh, nine days of prayer is during the nine days, I, I, I hear a lot of grief, okay, that, that, you know, they were not able to reconcile with a, with a departed person, that this happened, they're unhappy about it. But I wish all those were said when they, mo- were, when they were around. And yes. so, I mean, and part of the journey, I think, of um, a chaplain, especially someone in a hospice, is having the people feel comfortable enough where they can reach out to other family members and say, you know, I would like to see you. And let me give you this last gift. My gift is one of me telling I love you. My gift is saying I forgive you. Or my gift is saying, please forgive me for something I did to hurt mm-hmm. you. Exactly. I mean, it's... Exactly, yes. And that's, I mean, one of the things that we want to do is, um, you know, share the love. That's what we are called to do is share this love. Yeah. You know, just an, an analogy that, that strikes me. When we talk about preparing for death, I, I think of, you know, taking a page from the, from the catechists. We talk about remote and proximate preparation for the sacrament of marriage. And the remote preparation for marriage is uh, grade school kids, high school kids, what is, the, what is the meaning of marriage? What is life together as husband and wife? That sets the stage for when they're at the part time of life, when they're ready for proximate preparation, the immediate preparation. You know, how, who, who's getting married? What's that gonna look like? How are we gonna prepare ourselves? And I'm just listening to our conversation for the past many minutes. It's the same, I would, you know, I could uh, suggest the same sort of preparation here, that the Christian life is is indeed remote preparation for the final sacrament of, of death, that uh, we, we want, as, as ministers, we want to accompany people so that they're, they're ready to make these kinds of decisions, to make these kinds of uh, confrontation with uh, with their final journey. Uh, so life itself is is remote preparation until we get to what we're talking about now, the the hospice or the the healthcare powers of attorney, the, the proximate preparation for uh, for going to meet the Lord. Um, so, so, Deacon Joe, God bless you for your ministry, and I was wondering if you would. Uh, End our show with a prayer, and a prayer for the people that are in hospice, the families that are in hospice, the people that are going through the tough times. If you could uh, say a special prayer for us all. Okay, thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and, and thanksgiving. We thank you for all the many blessings that you give us throughout our lives. We thank you for the gifts of our family, our friends, 
We thank you for the gifts of, of your family, your your son, our Lord Jesus, whom you sent here on earth to help us to reconcile ourselves to our Lord, or to our Father. Father, we recognize that you are the source of all life, and and again, our lives don't they end here on earth, but they continue on as we change it our, to our presence in eternal life. We ask you, Father, to bless all those who are preparing for those final steps, the, the sacred moments and such, the the patients themselves, their families who are enduring it. We ask you to help give them the strength that they need to endure this temporary loss that they're about to to deal with. Help them to recognize that you are the source, you are the strength from which we can draw what we need to to get us through this. Amen. To Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Deacon's Roundtable. We look forward to being on the air next month. God bless. And FM 88.5 FWSFI.